So today I want to talk to you about, again, this is Signs of the Times. It's going to be part four. four. We're going to go to um, Mark. And uh, actually, you know what? You, you don't even need to go to Mark. Just, we're, oh, you know what? Go to Mark. Let's just go to Mark. I'll, I'll, Mark chapter 13, verse 14 through 20. The title of the message is The Abomination of Desolation. How many of you know what the abomination of desolation is? Raise your hands high. Just a few. By the way, coming to a world near you real soon. Seriously. Coming to a world near you real soon. So in, in Mark chapter 13, 14 through 20, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing word ought not, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop go down into the house, uh, nor let uh, enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in winter, for in those days there will be tribulation such as not been since the beginning of creation, which uh, God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake whom he chose, he shortened the days." So Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord God, it's going to take, Lord, spiritual insight and discernment, Lord God, to look into your word today. I pray that for all here. May we sit again, Jesus, at your feet. May we avail ourselves to your Holy Spirit. May he teach us, Lord God, the words of man, Lord God, are are futile and useless. But the word of God is powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword. It can pierce into the very depths, Lord God, of our being. And that's what we're asking you to do today. Pierce our being, Lord God, with your word and with your truth. Let it change us, let it transform us, let it produce an abundance of fruit in us. Let us bring us to a place where we are more watchful and prayerful, Lord God. Waiting for your coming. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen. amen. So, if you, if you have your Bible, you want to you underline, abomination of desolation. Uh, it is uh, a word, abomination, that talks about sacrilege. It's something that is, that is sacrilegious, something that infuriates, that, that infuriates God. And it is an abomination, a sacrilege, that brings desolation. Desolation, destruction, complete emptiness. And if you look at verse 19, it is so bad. Like, look at this. For in those days there will be tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the creation, which God created until this time there ever shall be. It will, it will be worse than the flood. And then you look at verse 20, and unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. So unless God intervenes, it becomes really, it's the end of the world. So just, you know, taking again a look at that, it's describing this abomination desolation ushers in global destruction, global carnage, such as has not been right, since the beginning, or ever shall be. So it will be, again, it will be worse than the flood. Hey, we come out of the most violent century, the last 100 years, and you had over about 100 million people who died uh, due to war, and the effects of war, for the most part famine, disease, sickness. Uh, you have about somewhere between 75 and 90 million people. I'm sorry, let me get, let me get that right. Yeah, it's about 75 to 90 million people who died in World War II. And this will be worse than that. It will, it will be worse than that. Now, 
As a teacher of the word, you understand the Bible is an integrated message system. 66 books written over the course of 2,000 years by 40 different authors. Okay, and, and again, an integrated message system. So if, if you wanted to study the resurrection, there is not a book called the resurrection. If you wanted to study the resurrection, what you need to do is you would have to go to Psalm 16, then you would have to go to Isaiah 53. You can find some things about the resurrection in the book of Job. You'd have to look at the end of each of the Gospels, and each of the four Gospels end with the resurrection. You go to 1 Corinthians 15, you can find some things out there about the resurrection. That is a resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you'll find things there, again, talking about the resurrection. But notice again, it's integrated. Why does God do that? Well, I'll tell you something. It immediately eliminates lazy people. It eliminates people who just want to play games with the Word of God. Because you've got to become really serious with the Word of God to find out and learn about these different things that the Word of God teaches. So, again, an integrated message system. So, when we're looking at what Jesus is saying here about the abomination desolation, and then the abomination desolation ushering in the worst time to ever occur. You go to Revelation chapter 6 through 19, and again, you can, find, you can find some of these things in Matthew 24, you can find some things in Mark chapter 13, you can find some things in Zechariah chapter 11 and 12, 2 Peter chapter 3, Luke chapter 17, Ezekiel chapter 38, 39. But the most comprehensive description of this destruction that will be going on on the earth will be found in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. The seven-year tribulation. So here's a a, a great picture to really kind of show you what's happening in the seven-year tribulation. And I believe, I take the view, that the rapture happens before the tribulation. So if you are a true believer, I don't believe you're going to be here for this. That's why when he's saying he's talking about the elect in Matthew 24, I think he's talking about the Jewish people, Jewish believers. So what you have is you have what are called the seal judgments, trumpet judgments, bowl judgments. Seal judgments, it's, it's not seals like the animal. So this is, oh, 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 that's not what he's talking about, okay? It's, it's the, opening, the opening of a seal. The opening, right? It's a scroll, and Jesus opens it seal by seal. And with each seal, there is, there is judgment being brought upon the, the, the face of the earth. So you have the seal judgments, trumpet judgments, bowl judgments that happen during this period. Again, this is, this is called the tribulation. You see there, at the end of it, you have the battle of Armageddon. What is Putin and uh, Biden talking about in the news, right? That Armageddon could be coming. I mean, I don't think they understand even what Armageddon is. But they're talking about some type of great, you know, cataclysmic, you know, nuclear war. So that's, that's essentially just something to realize, too. During this period, about 50% of the Earth's population, when you get to the trumpets, is wiped out. There are about 8 billion people on the face of the Earth right now. If that were to happen in our day, that's 4 billion people who will die uh, during the tribulation to war and famine and disease and uh, natural calamities, all these different things that are happening in judgments, satanic persecution that um, is described again in the book of, book of the Revelation, chapter 6 through, uh, through 19. 
It's, um, you know, just if, if you, when I've taught on Wednesday nights here, we've gone and dug into prophecy a lot over the course of the last year. If you take the world powers, we have enough nuclear capacity to blow up the earth and basically destroy all human life six times over. And then that's not to mention chemical and biological weapons. So there's, there's, I, I believe that's part of what is unleashed here, man's insanity under the influence of Satan uh, in, the, in the last days. So, again, the tribulation, that's what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about, again, the abomination that causes this desolation. Now, I want to bring you back. A few weeks ago, we covered Daniel. Remember Daniel, the 70 weeks of Daniel, 77s, 490 years? I want to take you to the last seven, because the last seven years, I believe, is the tribulation. That's, it's called Daniel's, right, 70th week, or uh, Jacob's trouble, uh, the trouble of, uh, essentially, of Israel. Just want to, just quick refresher here, the prophecy uh, of Daniel, and it's one of the most amazing, I, I really believe maybe the most amazing prophecy in the Old Testament, the prediction that from uh, the decree, okay, to rebuild Jerusalem, 445 B.C., and you can go back a couple weeks and you can look at this in detail, you would have seven weeks, 62 weeks, or a total, a total of 483 years, which brought us right to the day Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, right? It's, uh, we call it Palm Sunday. It was Palm Monday. If you take, it, uh, you take it to that date. And then, again, there's this one missing week, this one missing seven-year period, and I said there's a gap in between. What's the gap? Well, you in it right now. It's the church age. And then at the end of the church age, you have the rapture, and then what you have here is this, this again, this covenant with uh, the Jews by the Antichrist, and then you have the tribulation, the final week. So I want to I look. We'll go to Daniel chapter 9, 27. When I covered Daniel chapter 9 with you, I covered chap, uh, verses 24 through 26 in depth. Now I'm going to cover with you verse uh, 27. And it says, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. There is the abomination desolation that Jesus is referring to in Mark chapter 13. Even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So let me, I'll break this down for you here. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. A future ruler will make a covenant, will make a treaty with the people of Israel and with their neighbors. Israel became a nation in 1948. They have been in a continuous conflict, really this continuous war, with the Arabs, with the surrounding Muslim nations. They're constantly shooting rockets, you know, into Israel. And so, they, they, there's, so there will be this covenant that is made, and you will have peace. Israel will have, be, be promised by this ruler, a seven-year peace. In fact, uh, the Bible talks about peace, peace, when there is no peace. and actually calls it a, a covenant of death. Then, then it, again, it, what it says here, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, seven years. Is that why is it seven days, or why is it seven weeks? Because, again, when we were looking at the entire context of the, the 77s, we saw it comes out to be 490 years, and it's a shamata. You know, a, a week can be seven days, but it all can, can be a week of seven years. We were studying that uh, in Leviticus chapter 25 a couple of weeks ago. And then it says, in the middle of the week, 
right? Three and a half years, 1,260 days, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So midway through, he puts an end. Now you have to understand this. He doesn't, he, the only way he could do this is with military might because the Jews aren't going to stop sacrificing. So he must come in with his military might, with his armies, and he puts an end to the sacrifice and offering in the temple. And then it, it goes on and it says, and he shall bring in a sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. Again, there is the abomination des, uh, desecration. In the temple he shall desecrate. He shall desecrate the temple by setting up some type of sacrilegious object. And if you look at where it says the wing of abominations, people, what does that mean, the wing? Some people say, well, it happened on the wing of the temple or some part of the temple. The concept of a wing in, in Hebrew, what does an eagle do when he's about to fly? He spreads his wings. Or a bird, they, they, they spread their wings. The concept here is this abomination and desolation is going to spread. It's going to spread. It's going to be in the temple, but it's going to spread throughout Jerusalem. It's going to spread throughout Judea. It's going to spread throughout Samaria. It's going to spread to the entire world. It's going to have, it's going to have global effect, a global influence, global implications. Think of Jesus on the cross in a place called Golgotha. And the wings spread. And it spread to Jerusalem. And then it spread to Judea. And then it spread to Samaria. And then it spread to Asia Minor. Then it spread to Greece and to Italy and to Europe. And now 2,000 years later, have you noticed it's still spreading? And maybe you're sitting here today or you're watching this on television. Maybe today it spreads into your heart and you receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. The abomination desolation, it, it, it spreads its wings in a very negative and destructive way. What Jesus did on the cross of Golgotha spread his wings in a very positive and wonderful way. So that's the picture there. On the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. And then it says here, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So the desecration of the temple will continue until the Lord returns and puts an end to the Antichrist and to his followers until the consummation, right? That's the end. That's, that's Revelation 19 of which is talking about. Now, abomination, desolation. Where does it take place? Well, it, it, it takes place in the temple. Mark, Mark 13, uh, Daniel 7 implies the temple. If you look, at, look at Matthew chapter 24, 15. Matthew just adds something that Jesus said. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in where? The holy place. He says, whoever reads, let him understand. What is the holy place? Well, it's not just the temple. It's the holy of holies. It's the place where the Ark of the Covenant used to be. So this, this is the holy place. The, the essential topos hegios, topos place, hegios holy. This is the holy place. It's the holy of holies. Now there's a, there's a, a little problem with that. Right, what's, what's the problem? There ain't no temple. <laughs> there's no temple in Israel right now. The, t the temple was destroyed. Let me I'll give you a test here. What year was the temple destroyed? 
70 AD, who destroyed it? Titus and the Roman legions. That should be just ringing in your ear like a, like a song. We talk, we've been talking about this for the last weeks. 70 AD, Titus and the Roman legions goes in and he destroys the temple. So what do you have today? This is the temple mount. Okay, some people, some people think that's the temple. That's not the temple. This, this is the temple mount here. It's the remaining foundation. All the stones are gone, just as Jesus said. Not one stone will be left upon another. They've all been destroyed. In fact, many of them are, are laying around, still laying around the outskirts. Some people have taken them and they've built houses with them. But essentially, th this is the Temple Mount. What is that? That is called the Dome of the Rock. It is the third most holy site in Islam, after Mecca and Medina. It was built in the 7th century. They believe, the Muslims believe, that this Dome of the Rock is right on the place, the rock inside. And I've gotten in there a few times in our trips to Israel. Most of the time now, you can't get anywhere near going inside. It's barred. But inside the Dome of the Rock, there is a rock, and they believe that is the place where Abraham went to offer up Isaac. They also believe that Muhammad ascended from this location on a white horse and basically ascended into heaven. So it is the third most holy site. Okay, in, in all of Islam, here's a, a closer picture, okay, of the Dome of the Rock. Essentially, for centuries, the Jewish people believed that you would have to get rid of this to be able to build a temple. And there was a guy back in the 1960s who wired himself with all kinds of bombs and tried to go in there and blow the place up. And the Israeli police stopped him because they didn't want to start World War III. Because if somebody went in there and they blew that up, or if Israel blew that up, you would have the beginning of World War III. You would have the, the Arab nation, the Muslim nations from all over, not just the Middle East, but from, from Indonesia, from Malaysia, right? They would, they would just be converging on Israel. And you would have World War III. Now, I want to share this. This is what they believed, okay, would have to happen. It would have to be removed, and then they would build a temple there. Now, there was a, a, a guy, he's a scientist, Asa Kaufman. Back in the 1980s, he started doing research, started studying um, the Middat, some of the works of Josephus, started looking at a lot of the historians, and he began to believe that the temple was actually not to be built there, but here. In other words, it could be built right next to the Dome of the Rock. And then he, he did some research, and he was, um, he was actually a physicist, and he believed that blood, okay, blood can leave a residue for, for centuries and centuries. And what he found was there was this tunnel, this aqueduct. Remember when I've talked to you during the Passover, okay, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem, they were sacrificing lambs. How many sacrificial lambs were actually sacrificed during Passover week? 186,000. I think it was one of, this, one of, one of the Caesars took, took that survey. So what did they do with all the blood? They slit the throat, they put the blood into a laver, and then they throw it at the altar. Well, they created an aqueduct. They created a, a, essentially a gutter where the blood would flow down, okay, and then flow out into the Kidron Valley. So he said that he believed he could find that aqueduct, and he did. And that he could actually do a study, that would be a, a physicist studying plasma, to actually see the blood of the lambs, and then he could prove. By the way, they never let him do that. Again, it's a very controversial site. And again, the Muslims started to get, get, get crazy with this stuff because they know, they know where it's going. 
But they did do some flyovers, and with some high technologies like sonograms, they were able to see that there were all these tunnels that seemed to indicate that the temple could be built there. I actually believe that that is, that is where the temple was. And uh, so here's a, a good picture. So that's Aza Kaufman's book, and I'm sorry, the, the print, it's, it's he, such small print, but this is um, here the Dome of the Spirits. So this is where Kaufman believed the actual temple was, and the Holy of Holies would have been right here. That's the Dome of the Rock. So in other words, you could build a temple or a tabernacle doesn't necessarily have to be a stone temple. It could be a tabernacle. It could be built right there. Now, here's, here's a group of um, amateur and professional archaeologists, thank you, that were in Israel when we were standing. This is our last trip in 2016. And there we all are standing right there, right, right where the Holy of Holies would have been. And we hope to do another pilgrimage to Israel sometime, sometime in the near future. So here's, a, here's a, a diagram of what it would look like if the temple was built into the specifications of Solomon's temple. It would look like this, and the Dome of the Rock could be built right next to it. Let me just show you. I want to show you an interesting passage. Revelation chapter 11, 1 and 2. It's talking about the tribulation period and the first three and a half years. And it says this, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is outside of the temple, and do not measure it, for it will be given to the Gentiles, and they will treat, uh, tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. I want you to see what, what that means. If the temple was built, this is where the court of Gentiles would be. And the passage is saying that will be tread, okay, down by the Gentiles for 42 months. So the Muslims continue to come in and worship there while the Jewish temple is built next door. That's what I believe the scripture is saying. Here's some diagrams of what they believe it would look like. But it's not built yet. It would have to take an incredible person, I mean an incredibly influential person, to be able to influence both the Jews and the Muslims. He would have to be, I mean, he would have to be such a strong personality. I mean, he, he would almost have to be supernatural to be able to create, create a treaty, a covenant between Jews and Muslims where they would allow the temple to be built next to the Dome of the Rock. Now I'll take you to another place, the Temple Institute. When we go to Israel, we go to the Temple Institute. Temple Institute has been preparing for the building of the temple. So they are preparing um, Levites. The first time Levites are being trained in almost 2,000 years. And they're being trained in all of the different rituals and the sacrificial systems. They're being prepared. And they've got a, they've got a few hundred Levites okay, who are now been trained to offer up all the necessary duties of the temple. Here, they've created all of the garments. That is the high priest garment. You know, we studied that uh, a couple of months ago in Exodus chapter 29. And, uh, and again, here is the, 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 the priestly garment. They have made all of the articles of the temple. Table of showbread. These, these are actually the articles from the Temple Institute. The table of showbread, the uh, candelabra, the altar of incense, as well as the, wash, the, uh, the laver, the washing laver, and the bronze altar. So all of those have been done. 
Go to Israel first time years ago, and they're like, well, you know, everything is coming, to, you know, coming into place, but they need a red heifer. So they're raising red heifers in Texas. Because the red heifer, according to Numbers 19, must be sacrificed and its ashes have to be used to cleanse the Temple Mount because it's been trodden down by the filthy Gentiles for 2,000 years. But you go to Israel, right? The red heifer. There were red heifers. <laughs> They're all over the Golan Heights. It was like, but you got to bring a, a, a red heifer from Texas. This is a joke. We drive up to the Golan Heights. You have farms of red heifers. They're all over the place. So they're prepared. All they need to do is, is basically build the building or build a tabernacle. The tabernacle of Moses, a little different. It could, could be put up in a matter of, of days. And with construction right now, I mean, a, a stone temple could probably be put up in a matter of months. Now I want to show you, I want to show you another, another key thing here. Abomination, desolation. Bible prophecies sometimes have dual fulfillments. So there sometimes is a, is a past fulfillment and a future fulfillment. So I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you an example. The Bible predicts uh, essentially a diaspora of Israel. That Israel, because of their sins, are going to be dispersed throughout the world. So the first time that happened was 605 B.C. under the Babylonians. Ultimately they destroyed the temple in 586 B.C. So there is the prediction of the diaspora. There's also a prediction of the Jews returning to Israel from Babylon. Seventy years later, right, and Jeremiah made this prediction, 70 years from 605, the Jews would return, and we see that happening in 535 B.C. Now there's another prediction about another diaspora, and that was a prediction of the diaspora that happened in 70 A.D. Titus and the Roman legions, they, they, invade, they invade Israel, they invade Jerusalem, they kill a million people. They carry away 90,000 of them into slavery. They disperse the rest of the Jews throughout the world. That's where they've been. Right, Rene? Right? All over the world. The, the Jewish people. Andrew, Rebecca. Uh, Andrew, you're Gentile, but she's a Jew. Hey, I'm part Jewish. Me too, man. I am. Uh, I've got... I've got, I've got Jew and my blood all over the place. So, so what happens is, again, they're dispersed throughout the world in 70 AD. The prediction was that they would come back. You think of this, 1870 years. And I'll tell you this, the anti-Semitic Christian scholars in the Reformed churches and the Catholic church said it will never happen and they started taking all the predictions about Israel returning and saying this, has, this, this applies to the church. And then the miracle of miracles happened. People, people ask me, what is the greatest miracle that you've seen in this you know, period? It's, it's the Jew. It's the Jewish people returning to Israel and Israel being reborn as a nation in 1948. Diane, what was the exact date? Where'd Diane go? Was it May 17th, 1948? Was it? 14th. That the Jewish people returned. And that to me is, that, that to me is the, great, the greatest of miracles. So again, you have a dual fulfillment in that, in that prophecy. So when it comes to the abomination desolation, there is a past fulfillment and there is a future fulfillment. So how many of you have ever heard of Antiochus Epiphanes? Antiochus Epiphanes. His name that he 
took for himself means God manifest. In other words, he believed he was the incarnation of God. So Alexander the Great, when Alexander the Great died, he basically separated his kingdom. His kingdom was separated to his four generals, uh, and one of them, uh, Seleucus. And Seleucus basically took over the area of where Israel is. And a number of, of generations later, the fourth generation later, and Antiochus becomes the king of this, of this province. And he, is, he, is a, look, he killed a million Jews. Persecuted the Jews. And um, if you study Hanukkah, this is what the Jewish people celebrate. The liberation under the Maccabees, okay, of, the, of this evil Syrian, you know, Syrian king, uh, Antiochus. So um, in Daniel 11.31, you have this. Forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. I don't believe that's talking about the future desecration. If you look, study that passage, I'll give you a, little, a quick little synopsis of the passage. The first uh, 20 verses, 5 through 20, talks about the conflict between the kings of the north and south. That's talking about the armies of uh, Antiochus. Then, it talks about Antiochus, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes in verse 21 through 35, but then it talks about the Antichrist in verse 36 through 45. So I believe that, that that passage is talking about the abomination desolation, talking about Antiochus. What did Antiochus do? He went into the temple and he sacrificed a pig in the Holy of Holies on the Ark of the Covenant. He sacrificed a pig. And we have, we, in 167 B.C. And then he set up a statue to Zeus in the temple. And by the way, you're getting now a little foreshadow. Okay? That is, that is the first fulfillment of a dual prophecy. And you get a little foreshadow. Antiochus is a type of Antichrist. The abomination desolation that he did in the temple is a type of the abomination desolation that the Antichrist will do. So again, when Jesus says in Mark chapter 13, verse 14, when he says, so when you see the abomination of desolation, he's talking about something in the future. He wasn't talking about what was done in 167 BC. He's talking about something that is futuristic. So it didn't happen yet. Because we've never seen that. And I believe, I believe, again, what he's referring to is he's referring to the tribulation and the abomination desolation that happens in the middle of the tribulation period. What is the best interpreter of Scripture? Scripture. I, I'll tell you, Just I'm giving you some, some biblical principles for reading and studying the Bible. It's an integrated message system. You've got to study the entire Bible to understand the Bible. Can't just, oh, I just, well, I just, I just like, I just like the Gospel of John, and that's all I study. Well, you're missing out on a whole lot, pal. It's an integrated message system that, at times, has dual fulfillment of prophecies. Principle number two, and a third principle here is the best way to interpret Scripture is with Scripture. So if you want to see a, a, a bigger picture of the abomination desolation. 
Here's a, here's a, 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 great, a, a great reference. Uh, you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 3 and 4. Let no one in any way deceive you for what will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Who's the man of lawlessness? Who's the son of destruction? Antichrist. He's called Antichrist. He's, he's, called, he's called the beast, right? He's called the little horn. He's called the little horn with a big mouth. In Daniel chapter 7. Blasphemes God. And so it says, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself to be God. Antiochus Epiphanes, God manifest, I'm God. What does the Antichrist do? He goes into the temple and he says, I am God. I am God. You go to Revelation chapter 13, 14, and 15. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him perform in the presence of the beast. Now this is what is called the false prophet who would be the equivalent of John the Baptist pointing to Jesus and saying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The false prophet points towards the Antichrist and says he is God. Worship him. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. I believe this is the image that is set up of the Antichrist in the temple in the middle of the tribulation. This is the abomination desolation. So let me give you, I'll give you a quick summary and then I'm going to give you just a, 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 final, a final word of edification. Sometime after the rapture of the church, the Antichrist enters a treaty with Israel, and this begins the seven-year tribulation. At the midpoint of the tribulation, 1,260 days later, the Antichrist breaks the treaty and desecrates the temple. The great tribulation, the great tribulation, is the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. So don't get confused with that. And will involve unprecedented destruction. And at the end of the tribulation, 1,260 days after the desecration of the temple, Jesus Christ returns to the earth and defeats the forces of the Antichrist. Revelation 19. Good news, right? In the midst of, of bad. Actually, it, it, there's good news at the beginning and good news at the end. There's a lot of bad news in between, but I'm not planning to be there. And the Lord will come back, and we'll come back with him, and then he will establish his, his kingdom. So here's, here's a, my, my, final, my final key application here. Mark chapter 13, 32 through 37. Jesus says this, but, the day, uh, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, he says, watch and pray. Now watch this. He, he uses the word watch, right, over and over again here. He says, watch and pray if you do not know when the time is. It is uh, like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, at the crowning of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I will say uh, to all, watch. So watch, 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 watch. The word is Gregorio. And it means to be diligent, to be vigilant, to be ready, to be prepared, to be, to be on your toes, on guard, 
to be hyper-vigilant, that anticipating that the Lord can come, and really to be aware of the signs that are going on, as well as the awareness that the Lord can come any moment to take you, right, to be with him and to meet him in the clouds. So the, the, the concept of, of, of watching is to be avoiding distractions. And we are the most distracted people in the history of mankind. Big, powerful, wealthy corporations want your attention. They want your time. They want your money. They want you. Stop and think about it. It's somewhat sinister, right? You stop and really look at it. Really, ultimately, they want to control you and they want to enslave you. So you, you start looking at, at Facebook. And listen, I'm not here. Oh, you can't be on Facebook. That's not what I'm doing. Okay, please. I'm not on Facebook. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm on Twitter. I tweet. I got banned from Twitter. I don't even want to tell you what I said that got me banned on Twitter. I had nothing to do, nothing to do with the church of politics that I got banned on Twitter for. And now I'm back on again. They slapped my wrist, they put me back up. Facebook, Google, Twitter, listen folks, the networks, the, the, the sport, the, listen, the NFL and the NBA, it, it's, it, it's about distractions. And, and you know what, they, they distract you, think about this, from what is truly good. God, His Word, your family, your marriage, your church, your children, the quality of your life, your health, your well-being, your peace, your joy, your career. But they, they thrive stimulating you and me. Stimulating us emotionally, stim, stimulating us physically, stimulating us sexually. They, th- they thrive on that to keep you, right, focused on them and unfocused on the things that are really important. Think about it. And they're experts at creating addiction. Sometimes addiction that is very negative, sometimes addiction that is incredibly destructive. You see, most most people in our culture, they have this need to be amused. They have this need to be entertained. And they live continuously with this awareness that they're missing something. Right? They're, they're missing because, geez, looking at Facebook, everyone's life is so shiny. The advertisements are always so shiny. Right? All the advertisements that you see on television and on the, they're shiny. And I want to tell you something as somebody who works with people inside the church and outside the church, things are never so shiny as they appear. Never. Never. You see the guy driving down the road in his brand new Porsche and you're thinking, wow, how great must that be? Driving a $180,000, how great must that be? And that guy's driving down the road with all kinds of pain in his heart and maybe he's thinking about driving that car right into a tree. One of the most successful people that I have ever worked with this is in my, my business, coaching business, was a man who on a good year makes $30 million a year. 
How shiny. I don't even want to tell you the things that were going on in his life. By the way, he's come to Christ. He's changed his life. But I don't even want to tell you the things he was doing. How he was on a destructive course. And just destroying himself. But again, it, it, it always looks so shiny. And that's what they do. Live for the moment. Right? Immediate gratification. Don't think about tomorrow. Don't, don't, don't think about the future. Don't think about the, the big things in life. 50% of all Americans right now have less than $5,000 in their savings account. Where did all the money go? Yeah, the average person makes a few million dollars a year. Where did all the money go? You know where you find it? In their attic, in their basement, and in their garage. On all kinds of things that they thought were going to make them happy. And they, they never made them happy. They, 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 again, they train us to be consumers. To, to live for comfort. 42% of Americans are obese. We're addicted, addicted, right, to food. Drugs, I mean, alcohol, food, uh, uh, pornography. I want to ask you, I want to ask you a question. Are you loving the things that are not loving you back? Just stop, ask yourself that. Are you loving things that are not loving you back? People say, I love to eat. Hey, I eat to live. I don't live to eat. I enjoy food. But I see people that, that are literally, they, they love food to the point. Is, are, are you getting back? You, know, you love it so much. How's it, how are you doing with that? How's your body doing with that? I see, I see people, they, I, I love enter, they love entertainment. Well, well your, your love for is your entertainment giving to you back what you are, are, are giving to it. I love social media. Can't get away from it. Right? Can't, just, can't get, I was talking to somebody yesterday. Their daughter, she's got that thing in her hand 24-7. I think she's, she's doing it while she's sleeping. And the kid's a mess. She's a mess. And you look at all the studies that, that are coming out saying social media causes anxiety, stress, unhappiness, and even suicide. Are you getting back what you're giving to it? Easy chair. You got an easy chair? I got an easy chair. I got a wonderful easy chair. I like being in my easy chair. But you know what? You can become so addicted sitting in the easy chair again. You love it. But are you getting back from it what you're giving to it? Alcohol. Oh, Pastor Frank, why don't you drink? I'm out with business people. Why, you don't drink? Why don't you drink? Let me tell you why I don't drink. Not because I'm a holy roller. That's not, that's not, Jesus drank wine. The apostles, they drank wine. Why don't I drink? Because it makes me feel like crap. I want to tell you that just, it makes me feel like crap. I don't like the way I feel when I drink. It doesn't, it doesn't make me feel good. It makes me tired. It makes me groggy. It makes me irritable. And then you know what? The next morning when I get up to train, I don't feel energized. That's why I don't drink. But again, people, people drink. Are you, are, are you again, this thing that you love, 
Is it loving you back? Drugs? On and on and on we can go with so many different things. But this again, this is the time we live in. They get us focused on all these distractions and get us addicted to them. And now, we're not focused on God, our marriage, our family, our children, our church, our health, our well-being. They've got us. You know, you, the, the modern day men and women, when you really look at, again, what's happening, they're, they're like a marionette on strings being controlled. Oh, no, no, I'm free. I'm free. No, you're, you know, but you're not. You're not. You're not. You're, you're, you're deceived if you believe you are truly free. I've, I've, met, I've met a handful of truly free people in my lifetime. And let me tell you, it, take, it takes incredible strength. It, take, it takes in, in, I mean, incredible fortitude and will to not succumb to the distractions and, again, the habits that they are trying to basically forge on us. So freedom, freedom, you know, freedom is, a, is a rare thing. So, again, coming, Jesus said, he said, watch. Watch for him. Watch for the signs. And focus, focus on what's important. The things, what, what are the things? Maybe you, have to, maybe you have to go to a quiet place. That's something that I do in, in, in seminars with people. It's something we're going to be doing on the men's retreat when I'm talking to the men is to go to a quiet place, get alone with God, and really ask Him, you know, what is important in your life? What, I mean, really important. And again, to, to me, you know, God is first. He's the center. He's the center. He's the, he's the center and the core. So everything, everything is affected by God. And my family is very important to me. My wife my kids, my grandkids, that is, a, that, that is a priority to me. The church is, is very important. My, my, my career, my ministry, my, my business, that's very important to me. My health, my, my, my physical, emotional, psychological well-being, that is very important to me. And I, I, I don't want to be loving things that are not going to love me back. I don't want to waste my life and my time on, on those things. So I, I, I take this, obviously Jesus is talking about watching for his coming and watching about the signs of the time, but watch, watch over your life. Watch over your life. That's, I, I believe, you know, what, what, he, you know, what he is saying here, that there's, you know, there's, it's the, 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 prime, the priority is God. The priority is, is, is knowing the time that we're in, but... Also the things, the things that he, is, that he has essentially sanctioned, the things that he's established, your marriage, your family, watch over those. He's given you a body, watch over it, take care of it. It runs out. Now you can pray. You're not going to be active, you're not going to be active outside of that. So watch. Watch diligently. Watch with a level of, of fervor, passion. Be relentless in, in your watching over the things that are truly important, the priorities of your life. Amen?
If you could bow your heads with me and we'll pray. Lord, I thank you today for your word. Lord, I know it's a lot. <laughs> the abomination, desolation. Lord God, and Lord, we see the stage being set. And truly, Lord God, there's nothing more that has to happen, Lord. Really, there never was for you to come and take us. Maybe we be watchful, Lord God. Maybe we truly be diligent watching for you and aware of the signs that are going on around us. And Lord God, while we're doing that, Lord, let us be watchful over our families, our marriages, our children. Let us be watchful, Lord God, over the taking care of the body that you've given us and good stewardship, our minds, the blessing that you've given us in a career, a vocation. Let us be watchful over these things, Lord God, because they're important. We may leave most of them behind, but while we're here, Lord God, they are gifts and a sacred stewardship that you've given us. Let us be watchful over them. And I pray, Lord God, just as we close, if there's anybody here who has never opened their heart to you, Jesus, that they would do it right now. And that you would invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart. Ask him right now, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior, my leader and the forgiver of my sins. I need you, Lord, in my life. I believe you died for me and were raised from the dead. And right now I take you into my heart. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.